WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. Good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems. We're live every Sunday at 11 o'clock on 95.9 WATD, and we always try to have interesting guests with us. And we have one now. We have Jim Camposano. Jim's been in the automotive industry for a long time, reporting on all kinds of stuff. And I posted something on Facebook today, and an old friend of mine, Marty Shore, says, Campy rocks. So, uh, Jim Camposano, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Good morning. Hey, if Marty says it, must be true, because Marty is right about everything that we know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've I've met Marty in 1989 when I first started at Vet Magazine, and he was our columnist on the magazine. And if you know Marty, it's like having the encyclopedia of the 1960s high performance era on your speed dial amazing man um i'm just glad to have him as a friend yeah he and obviously he, he, he lies he tells people <laughs> i rock so <laughs> well let's talk about you for a minute um you you didn't start off as a car guy necessarily you you started off as a sports reporter i actually did yes wow somebody out there on google yeah i you know i was always a car guy I mean, I grew up in the 60s, and my neighborhood, I was eight years old, my neighborhood was full of muscle cars, but growing up in New Jersey, you know, you don't really think, well, when I grow up, I'm going to be an automotive journalist, although in the back of my mind, that's what I always dreamed of. So I went to Rutgers and got my degree in journalism, and like a lot of people, you start off on a false path. Um, I thought maybe I'd be a news reporter. Um, and I ended up, like you said, writing high school and college sports for the uh, Newark Star-Ledger. And then one day I saw an ad for a proofreader in the, the, that very newspaper, and I applied for the job, and I got it. And even though I was, I was really overqualified, I had five years daily newspaper experience, and this was a very entry-level, very poor-paying position. But I figured, hey, I'll take the job. They'll never get rid of me. And I was right. I uh, For 29 years, it worked out that way, or 20, 25 years or something. It was crazy, but yeah. And and tell us tell us about some of the magazines you work for. You 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 have you have quite the byline list uh, going on in your life. Uh, I started working at Vet Magazine, Muscle Cars Magazine. I worked on Muscle Mustangs and Fast Fords from the second issue. Or as I call it, the uh, the second first issue when Steve Collison brought the it was a one shot he brought it back to life and eventually I took over that magazine when he quit and I did that after 13 years. Then I made the incredibly incredibly crazy switch to Super Chevy. I went the complete opposite direction and in the interim I was became editor, uh, editorial director of high performance Pontiac high performance Mopar Mopar Muscle you name it if if there was a high performance American car magazine I pretty much worked on one of those titles which gave me I think the kind of broad based knowledge every editor or writer should have you shouldn't just know one brand 
Well, speaking of one brand, are you a Chevy guy or a Ford guy? Yes. <laughs> Good um, answer. As crazy as if you were to look when I was editor of Super Chevy and editorial director of Muscle Mustangs, you would see in my driveway I had a 72 LT1 Corvette. I had a 72 SS350 Nova that I had put a big block in. Next to that was a 65 Coronet 500 Dodge with a 383. And my daily driver was a 97 Mustang Cobra. So uh, really, my driveway looked like the United Nations. It was not one brand. I've never been a one brand guy. I mean, I kind of moved from one to the other based on, you know, and I think that was a reflection of the time I grew up in. It were my my neighborhood, which was in Jersey City. We had a brand new GTO Judge in '69. Down the block from him in 1970 was a brand new Superbird. There were Corvettes everywhere, SS396 Chevelles everywhere. I mean, you couldn't help but be influenced. And I I was like, I'll take one of each. And I guess I took that literally as an adult because I did end up getting one of each brand and. You know, the only thing I wish I could find is an AMC, like an AMX or a machine, something like that. Well, and, um, you know, tell us a little bit what you're up to now, and we'll go back to that AMC comment in a minute. Well, right now I am the sales director for the NMCA, the National Muscle Car Association, and the NMRA, which is all for drag racing. Um, And my hobby, which I hope to turn into – Kind of a big full-time hobby after I retire is Muscle Car Campy, my YouTube channel, uh, which is an absolute delight because it gets me back to my roots with vintage American muscle cars. In fact, when I was waiting on hold to come on, I was listing all the cars. I was at the Lake Mira Concorde Elegance in Lakeland, Florida yesterday, and I found a so many cool cars to feature on my channel. Um, it's going to take a lot of time to get to them all, but one of which was, again, and you talk about strange cars, a 68 Mercury Cougar GTE with a 427, one of 256 made that year with the automatic, and that is the last car Ford ever put a 427 cubic inch engine in. Hmm. Now you're so, you're li- you're living in Southwest Florida somewhere now, right? Correct. I'm in the Tampa yeah. Bay area. Yeah. And when I think of Florida, I always think of car. Before I knew any better, I always thought a car culture was you know Daytona-ish area, you know, over that way somewhere. But uh, the last couple of years, I've been spending some time a little bit south of you in a little town called Englewood down near Venice. And every Wednesday, they have a little cars and coffee event. And I am absolutely amazed at the 100, 150 cars that show up every week. And every week I go there, there's a dozen cars I haven't seen the week before. The car culture is huge in southwest Florida. It's amazing. And I've found that myself, you know, having grown up at Raceway Park in English Town and that sort of thing. You know, I knew I would like it down here, but you think, well, it's going to be so different. And then, like you said, you go to a Cars and Coffee or a regular car show, and you're blown away by the stuff that you see. Uh, First car show I went to was one Marty helped put on, and I'm parked. I parked my 65 Dodge next to a 
62 Impala with a 409. Not a real car, you know, but mm-hmm. it was built and owned by a retired Chevrolet or Pontiac engineer, actually. And he, you know, there's tons of transplants from Michigan here. You know, that whole I-75 goes from Detroit all the way down to Naples and what have you. So there's so many car people from, from that area here, all the way from Ohio. And just, again, when the weather here, you know, everybody thinks of summer in Florida, it's so hot. But when the weather cools off, oh, my goodness, what comes out for the next nine months just blows your mind. Rare, unusual stuff. Um, you know, I just I just go crazy, you know, because I am a car guy. I yeah. have to, uh, you know, I might, I might be funny looking and short and fat, but I love cars, and this is the place to be. Well, and, and the idea, again, the idea of some of the cars you see down there um, – they're, you know, and they go from like really crazy, and a you know a real, you know a real cobra that showed up one day. Uh, you know, and, and you know I'm I'm from New England, so I'm used to factory five cobras all over the place. This was a real cobra, you know, something you don't see very often. That's worth you know crazy money to a guy who showed up every week with a different version of a Pinto, everything from one with the stock engine in it to something with uh, with a coyote engine in it and and i'm like i'm like how many of these do you own and he goes oh you know i i, I bought i bought one and then they just kind of they don't take up a lot of room so he says i can kind of squish four in, in my garage pretty easily and he said and i he said you know the i like the, i like the little four-cylinder 2.3 you know automatic that was kind of you know everybody kind of laughs at it when they see it but then i i have one that's uh you know, uh, 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 you know, tubbed out in the back and, you know, has a coyote engine in it. So, the, you know, the idea of the stuff you see, and you're absolutely right, that idea that, you know, the the uh, Detroit folks or the Windsor folks or wherever they happen to be from, you know, got on I-75 and drove till they ran out of road and decided to live there. You know, some of them, I met a guy who had a uh, a Bradley GT with a, um, he was developing a engine for an airplane, and it basically looked sort of like a Volkswagen engine without a cooling fan on it. And he's, he, I said, "What? What do you? What did you do?" And he said, "Well, I was a, um, I was a, a fuel economy engineer for Ford." And he said, "I built this as just sort of a fun project for a for a home built uh, airplane company." And he said, "The idea that you could." build this engine and he said i wanted to make sure it wouldn't overheat so i put it in this bradley gt which and the thing's got a little turbo on it it's it's an amazing car and you see this stuff and you're like you know that's not the stuff we see around here on on a regular basis so it is pretty amazing some of the stuff you see and this and like you said this must give you a lot of content it absolutely does the hardest part you run into is you get some people who are snowbirds who you know there's there's a Cuda, I wanted to shoot a gunmetal gray 71 Cuda, but the guy was back up north. I'm hoping he comes back soon, but it is. And you think, this is so cool. Like, I can find this guy and do this. There's a gentleman I who has a collection, uh, Hemi cars, all Hemis, all four speeds. He's never driven any of them. He's, he's in a wheelchair. I don't know if he's ever actually even ridden in them because they don't have 
hmm. shoulder harnesses and play a way to keep him in place. Um, but his passion is Hemi four speed cars. And I shot one of his, two of his cars, uh, a 68 Hemi GTX and a 68 Hemi RT, you know, the Chrysler's letter, you know, the later letter muscle cars. And he, but if you knew what he has and you'll see, he's got a, a 66 street Hemi Belvedere one which basically looks like a slightly enlarged Valiant with mm. no creature com- comforts whatsoever, but it's got a 426 Hemi and a four-speed. And, you know, you just meet people like that, and you realize the passion for cars, and it just exceeds everything else we we think about. You know, it's amazing to me. And, you know, like you said, it's just I'm fortunate that I'm in the position I'm in where I have a regular job that keeps me going nine to five and a passionate. I've, I learned one thing from doing YouTube. It really doesn't cost me a lot of money, unlike golf, you know, because you come to Florida, you have to learn to play golf. That costs me money. YouTube, really, I make money. So it's fun. Yeah, I'm going to skip the golf part myself, but uh, but the but the idea the idea of um, you know, and I remember years ago going up to Hemmings Motor News when Terry Eric uh, ran ran Hemmings before he passed away, and he would do things like you know you know you know bring your kid to a car show kind of thing to try to really encourage the the next generations of enthusiasts and. I'm starting to see a little bit of that at uh, at some of the car show events that I go to. Are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. And, you know, it's not necessarily the same. You know, we grew up with vintage muscle cars, and we wanted that. And some of these guys, a lot of them have late model Mustangs, and I say late model, 87 to present. Um, but it's kind of funny how the Fox body Mustangs, the 79 to 93s, are real popular now with kids who are my, well, I call them kids, but they're people my son's age, the 23 to 25 demo. Fourth-gen Camaros are hugely popular with them. Third-gen Camaros and Firebirds are hot. So I think anybody who, and if you come to an NMRA or NMCA race, you, the amount of young people you see at the events and the enthusiasm, I think anybody who's really worried about the future of the hobby is kind of needs to get out a little bit more and really embrace the youth culture and see what's out there because these kids they look to us to tell them things that they don't know and you know i always worry at some of these cars and coffees they're playing music from the 1950s and i'm like if you were in in a 55 chevy in 1957 you wouldn't be listening to music from the 1880s and that's essentially what they're doing at car shows today. Um, nobody, I mean, you know, I like 409 as much as anybody else, but let's, let's you know, make yeah. these a little more inviting to people under the age of 90. <laughs> uh, good, good point. And, um, you know, and I asked um, Brian Loans, who's a NHRA uh, announcer, um, you know, you know, he, he loves things that explode and, you know, stink of nitromethane and we were talking one day i said you know how do you feel about you know not just those cars but how do you feel about the whole idea of you know thousand horsepower front wheel drive you know honda civics and he said you know look back through the years of racing 
and I'm sure as racing changed over the years, you know, people looked at the first time, you know, that someone put a, you know, uh, you know, overhead valve engine in a car and said, what are you doing that for? You know, it's probably not a lot different, but it's a, a different generation. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about, you know, for want of a bad explanation, you know, Asi- Asian hot rodding? Not my scene, uh, only because my experience with it is when I go to a test and tune night at our local drag strip Radenton Motorsports Park, they're usually the ones, they are amazing because they push the envelope, but they also kind of push the envelope to the point where they split, spill their guts all over the track. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, they the old saying, there's a fine line between clever and stupid. They find that line and they ride it. You know, but it, but again, it's all part of the youth culture. These kids have grown up in houses where their parents never owned an American car. Right. I, when I grew up, you were thought of as a weirdo if somebody you knew had a VW Beetle. Now, you know. Yeah. No, Everybody no, it, it, it's 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 really a good point. Although I will, I I always tell this story. I was at I was at some you know, World of Wheels kind of thing or one of those kind of, you know, wintertime car shows that they have here in New England. And there was, uh, and who knows who knows why that somebody thought this was a good idea. They put, like, the Camaro uh, guys from, you know, north of Boston at one part of the show, and right across the aisle they put these crazy high performance, you know, Hondas and Nissans and whatever with, you know, that had, you know, the stereo system was as big as 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 big as the horsepower coming out of the engine in some cases. And <laughs> hey, we would have all done that if yeah. we had good speed, if we had yeah. better than 6 yeah. by 9 yeah. when we were that's kids. Right. That's right. Um but you'd look at the the two groups and it almost looked like a fight was going to break out between them. You know, it was like the old guys and the Camaros were glaring at the young guys. And at one point, you know, it was, it was really uncomfortable feeling. And at one point, one of the guys came over from the, from the, I'll I'll call it the Honda group came over to ask about, um, this one, um, uh, Trans Am, I think that was sitting there. And all of a sudden they started to talk and they're like, well, come over and look and see what I did to this, you know, two-liter Honda motor that's now, you know, pumping out 700 horsepower. And all of a sudden, they started talking together. And the weird thing is they shared a passion for their cars, which was yeah. which was actually pretty amazing. I was, like I said, I grew up around American Iron. And a few years back when I was working as the editorial director of Power Nation TV, engine power, Detroit muscle, things like that. And one of the sales guys there had a Nissan GTR, you know, twin turbo, 1,000 rear wheel horsepower in the quote-unquote street tune. And he took me for a ride with the launch control with four drag radials on the car, the all-wheel drive car, and blew my mind. Um, So if the cars are cars, you know, I might not be something I would want to build, but at the same time, hey, God bless, we're all in this together, and we're all fighting that war against the EPA, um, who basically carved the California Air Resources Board. They're all trying to take our cars, 
or at least limit. There are so many companies that make long tube headers anymore for cars that aren't selling them because they're afraid of the fines because you have to take the light off catalytic converters off if you use them. Mm. Even on a race car, they're afraid to sell them to people with race cars. So I say we all band together and use our our political might and our economic might and, you know, keep the parts companies open and keep the hot rodding spirit alive. Yeah, I think I think the idea of hot rodding, the idea of building something and whether it's, you know, whether you're somebody who's going to build a, you know, factory five kit or even a little weirder, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Smith performance and you're taking an old, you know, uh, you know, Dodge Charger and turn it into a uh, turn it into a pickup truck. Um, you know, the idea of building something, I think the satisfaction level of that is what makes it really special. And, you know, and the idea of, uh, yeah, maybe you did find the and I just looked at one. I looked at one the other day. I looked at a I looked at a 65 Nova. Uh, it was just a shell. You know, someone took out someone took out the uh, the um, uh, inner fender liners in the rear, and it looked like you know maybe it was tubbed out at one point that someone was going to do something with it. But overall, the it was a, a pretty good car, just waiting for a driveline and interior. And the idea that someone could buy that and turn it into something really cool, um, just uh, there's a certain a certain amount of magic in that, I think. Absolutely. You know, one of the cars I saw yesterday, they filled the downtown area around Lake Mirror with hot rods and customs and such. There was a gentleman there with a Cobra kit car, speaking of Factory 5. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody's looking, well, did he put in a 5-liter or is it a real big block? 3-liter Ford show motor, SHO. Wow. From the Taurus SHO. And he called the car the Showbra. And I looked at it, and I was like, kudos, you know, because that was something, again, so talk about thinking outside the box, you know, very unusual. And I thought it was just so cool. No, again, when people use a little bit of creativity and do something different, and the idea that, you know, there's some adaptability in that, and... You know, maybe you know, maybe you just wanted to be a little bit, you know, a little bit crazy. I know, uh, you know, Dave Smith at Factory Five actually did a did an electric Cobra, and he said, "Yeah, it's not my kind of car," but he said, "I kind of felt like I had to build it just to build it." He said, "You know, do do I drive that or do I drive something that makes a lot of noise? I drive the one that makes a lot of noise because it's more fun." But Dave is such a smart individual, fun guy to be around. I I know Dave a little bit. And I'm just amazed at what he's accomplished with that company, you know, basically starting off with buy a wrecked Fox Mustang, use all the parts, build this car, to what he has today. And just absolutely blown away. I'm very happy for him. But, again, it's think outside the box mentality, right? I mean, you you have to admire people who, you know, when I was working again at RTM, we did – a couple of his kit cars, uh, and we put a um, an EcoBoost four into one of those mid-engine sports cars that he does. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, and the instruction books are big, but four guys built that car in five days. You know, just working on it, and 
it was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular. So, again, the spirit of hot rodding is so alive and so well. Um, challenges, absolutely, but there have been challenges in our hobby since the mid-'70s, let's be honest. Yeah. And we've, we've confronted all of them and, and conquered them all. Now the factories are offering 1,000-horsepower cars with catalytic converters that are yeah. some, so completely free of emissions. Yeah, what, How what, good is that? Yeah, yeah. Whenever I see a, a you know vintage Chrysler product with a, a with a you know Hellcrate engine in it, you know I'm like, Woof, you know, and and the idea is you know you know emissions aren't quite as critical in Florida, but whenever I see one and I'm like, this is this is a fully compatible ECU driven, you know, crazy horsepower engine that starts up and runs perfect every time you turn the key. Pretty amazing stuff. It is. My, my friend back in the mid-80s when the Mustang went to fuel injection begged me, you better go buy an 85 Mustang now with a four-barrel carburetor because soon you won't be able to modify them anymore. And it's the only thing, when it came to cars, it was the only thing my friend Joe was ever wrong about. I mean, he couldn't have been, not only was he wrong, he was completely opposite. It spawned an entire new generation of hot rodding where the cars are faster than ever before, cleaner than ever before, and easier to modify than ever before. It, it's really remarkable. Yeah, and, and again, getting kind of back to that, you know, old-timey thing, I like the idea that, you know, uh, I think she's from Sarasota or somewhere, Riley, who does the, the Endelbrock rebuilds. You know, there's this, you know, high school girl who's now in college that's rebuilding, you know, Endelbrock carburetors in her, in her garage, in her father's garage. You know, pretty cool stuff, you know, and the idea that that is going to continue to keep this hobby alive, I think, is really great. Tell us about the uh, tell us about the Muscle Car Campy uh, YouTube channel. Where can they find it, and what have you posted just recently? And then uh, I really appreciate it. We've, we've kind of run it out of time here, but uh, tell us a little bit about what's up on the channel and what people can expect to see. Well, I just posted a video on a 68 GTO that it's a convertible that will be given away at Dream Giveaway Garage. All the money goes to charity. And if you use the MCC promo code, you get double the number of tickets when you order. Um, I've got a short up I did on that 68 Cougar GTE 427. I'm going to shoot a full feature on that car in the near future. I've got a 71 340 Cuda that I'm shooting this week, a plum crazy car. And that's the car I really want to tell the true story of the E-Body because most people think that was always how the car was supposed to be, a big stylized B-Body realistically. And that is not really the case. The car was supposed to be kind of go back to its original size, but it wouldn't hold the Hemi, mm. and they changed it over. So it's something a lot of people don't know. I'm going to go to some pretty deep detail on it. And I'm probably going to blow some people's minds, but if you like 60s and 70s muscle cars, muscle car campy, three words, C-A-M-P-Y. Uh, go to YouTube. I'm always putting new stuff up. And like I said, I enjoy doing it because I enjoy the myths, dispelling the myths, driving the cars. I drove a beautiful 68 GT350 a couple of weeks ago, put a video up about that. I'm just enjoying the heck out of it. And I also have a connection to do a, a video on Richard Petty's actual 1970 Superbird race car, which wow. is in the Pinellas County area. So 
I'm very excited about that. That one, I don't think they're going to let me drive. <laughs> probably, probably not. And and if you're, I, I, I know museum cars a little bit different, but if you're ever up here in New England, check out the Newport Car Museum. Uh, Gunther, who, who owns every car in there, has everything from crazy exotics to uh, he's he's also a fan of, uh, of, of muscle cars. And I think he has every uh, series of Corvette. He has, he has, I think he, ha- he, I think he has every KR Mustang that they made. Uh, it's just crazy amount of stuff that he has in his museum. So if you're up, you need to check that out too. Hey, Jim, I, I want to go into a good yeah, car museum. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, and this is set up, you know, no ropes. You can get right up close to the cars. Although you walk inside, it looks like an art deco, uh, uh, museum with Art Deco furniture inside. Him and his wife did a fantastic job of this of this place. Jim, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Uh, so much fun stuff to talk about. And check out Muscle Car Campy, great YouTube website. Uh, fun stuff to look at. We need to take a break and pay some bills. Uh, my name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program. We will be back in just a couple minutes. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Thank you, sir. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com join. Jeep Adventure Days are going on right now at Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram on Route 139 in Marshfield. Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is one of the largest dealerships of its kind in New England, featuring an incredible inventory of brand new Jeep Wranglers, great customer service, and Quirk's Chrysler Certified Service Department. Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is accessible from all across the South Shore, just off Route 3 at the new Exit 27. Quirk works to save you money. Quirk works for you. Visit QuirkChryslerDodgeDeepRam.com. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. And uh, for those of you who follow me on Facebook or whatever you do on Facebook. Uh, thanks to all the folks that reached out who were fans of the radio show that wished my wife a happy birthday last week. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, or this week, I suppose I should know that. But you know, I guess if this is Sunday, it's the beginning of the week. So last week, uh, I want to talk about the car that got me around last week too, which was the Mazda CX-30. CX-30 is a uh, compact crossover that sort of really embodies Mazda's commitment to blending style and some performance, I, you know, is it a super performance car? No, but it comes in eight trim levels from a base 2.5 liter to a 2.5 liter turbo premium plus. I think, like I said, I think I'm pretty sure there's eight trim levels, crazy amount of trim levels. All models use the same 2.5 liter four cylinder engine. Uh, the naturally aspirated, the one with no turbocharger uh, makes about 191 horsepower adding a turbocharger like turbochargers do bumps it up another almost 60 horsepower front wheel drive is standard all wheel drives an option our road test was in the top of the line 2.5 liter turbo plus with all wheel drive just makes it a fancier car although Mazda never truly made boring 
cars. This latest CX-30, I think, shows kind of a really contemporary design, which combines a certain amount of style and elegance. The interior is comfortable, and even with four full-size adults, is still uh, pretty comfortable. Um, you know, six feet tall people will find the front seats more comfortable than rear. Still, I had four adults in the car, and it was fine. Um, uh, we kind of put the tallest people in the front and the people with the shorter legs in the back, and it worked out fine. Everybody was comfortable. We moved the seats around a little bit. The interior is nicely crafted. It, uh, this model, because it was the top-of-the-line Turbo Plus, um, really had this kind of real luxury kind of look and feel to it. The seats, although a little short on under-thigh support, were pretty comfortable. The controls are generally quite good. And the navigation infotainment system used some rotary knobs and... Um, and people are tired of hearing me say this, but this one was only slightly frustrating and distracting. I think it was a little bit better than most. Um, you know, like like Jim said, you know, the the muscle cars of the of the '60s and '70s. The idea that they had knobs and buttons and yeah, he's right. You know, we had you know six by nine Jensen speakers, and maybe if we were lucky, we had three: one in the front and two in the rear deck. Uh, but today's cars, you can see thirteen, fourteen. 20 speakers in a car. Um, the CX-30 is pretty good in terms of storage. Cargo, uh, cargo room behind the rear seats is decent. Overall the, uh, space, lift over, uh, there's this little ledge. And it's nothing terrible, but there's this little, like, two, three-inch ledge, which is nice because it keeps stuff in the car. On the other hand, if you're putting something in there and you're trying to drag it back out, it kind of gets stuck. Um, not that anyone's really going to do this, but I took the car out one day to have lunch and I was parked with the hatch open and I my plan was to kind of sit in the back and put my feet up and and kind of look at the scenery around me and because of this ledge it just wasn't all that comfortable uh but it's not made to sit back there um but uh, the same deal if you you know if you shop at you know I don't know Ikea or someplace and get one of those you know long flat pack boxes yeah it's going to fit in there but you you know you're going to slide it in it's going to drop into that ledge it's going to be a little awkward getting it back out uh there's plenty of little uh hiding spots for personal items the center armrest armrest bin small glove box door pockets other small cubbies under the hood again the cx30 offers the two engines a standard 2.5 liter 191 horsepower engine and then um which i think for most people would be just fine and the optional engine, which is the 2.5 liter turbo, uh, which actually kind of almost puts it in that hot hatchback kind of category. Um, I have read zero to 60 times in a little over six seconds. So pretty, pretty quick car. Uh, the smooth shifting automatic transmission complements the engine's capabilities. Even with our turbo and like uh, many Mazda models, there's a fair amount of zoom, zoom. I hate to say that, but yeah, a fair amount of zoom, zoom in this compact crossover. And when it comes to the Mazda CX-30s, it's equipped with, you know, every advanced safety feature, including automatic emergency braking, adaptive cruise control, lane keeping assistant, uh, which ensures secure and comfortable driving. I shut some of that stuff off. I will admit the lane keeping assistant hard New England roads because of the cracks in them, the lack of painting the stripes in the road, the old stripes that are covered up with new stripes. It thinks you're not in the lane sometimes, and it'll kind of it it vibrates the steering wheel to 
remind you that you're drifting out of the lane when in fact you're really not. So that tends to be one of those things I tend to shut off. Uh, the CX-30 from Mazda is one of those cars that, you know, has its faults in certain areas. Uh, fuel economy could be better. Tall drivers might be looking for a little bit more legroom. I had the seat about as far back as you could go, and I'm only six feet tall. Taller people may, you know, feel a little bit cramped. But the overall package, I think, is really good. Uh, it has smooth control ride. It's well-appointed interior. It's fun to drive. Uh, makes the CX-30 a good choice for those seeking a compact SUV with all-wheel drive. And uh, just makes this crossover a good choice. Um, you know, that all-wheel drive, good choice for people that going to face the challenges of winter so we have that coming up too so uh and over the next couple of weeks we are going to be talking to um bobby demille she is from uh c-tech c-tech is the company that makes really smart um battery maintainers in fact she doesn't believe that you should ever jump start a car because it's too hard on the battery. She believes you should slowly, if you have a dead battery, you should kind of let, give it 15 minutes to sort of slowly charge up uh, so you don't shock the battery. Uh, so we're going to be talking to her about sort of winter car storage a little bit. Also, we're going to be talking to folks from carparts.com, I think, in the next week or two about um, about uh, just car maintenance for the winter time. Uh, see if they have any tips that I hadn't thought about. And also, we're going to be talking with uh, a, a woman from Mazda who's wor- uh, Mazda, a woman from Ford who's working with companies that are thinking about going electric with their fleet, like we have at AAA. Uh, we have, I think we have currently nine or ten Ford Lightning pickups that we're going to start to deploy in the next month or so to do light service, battery delivery, stuff like that, um, that we're going to, uh, uh, so it's going to be, you know, are we ever going to have an all-electric fleet? I don't think so, but we're going to give, we're going to give electric fleets a try and maybe even to the point where we're going to be able to do some uh, charging from the electric vehicle battery to an electric car that ran out of electricity. Currently, right now, we have, I don't know, maybe half a dozen of uh, these generator systems that come from a company called Blink. And basically what they are is a big generator, big heavy generator that sits in the back of uh, an F-350 Ford. And if someone runs out of electricity, we can pull up, plug it in, and start it up. And and we've already taken a little bit of... uh, you know, commentary from people about, yeah, you know, I drive an electric car and you pull up in a gas-burning truck that has a gas-burning generator. And But our experience has been the few times that we've had to go charge up an electric car, they were happy to see us no matter what it ran on. Yeah, we, we would like to be able to uh, work with the people from Spark Charge, for instance, and have, you know, level two and level three charging available so we can do it without burning gasoline or diesel or whatever, you know, I think we're a little ways away from hydrogen still. But the idea that, you know, that kind of stuff is available, I think would be good. If you want to join us, I haven't given out our phone number yet. and We have about 20 minutes left. If you want to give us a call at 781-837-4900. If you have a question about your car, uh, we're, we're here to talk to you about it. And uh, someone mentioned earlier that there may be a little bit of a problem with the stream might sound funny if you're listening online. Um, 
don't know what that's going with, but someone someone mentioned it. I was listening to the stream on uh, Alexa earlier today. I asked Alexa to tune in to WATD, and that's all I said. Alexa, listen to WATD, and it worked perfectly. But uh, maybe what you have might be a little bit different. But our phone number, again, is 781-837-4900. If you have a question about your car, uh, happy to talk to you about that. And uh, some of the some of the mail we got this week, um, someone, someone wrote in, they have a, let's see, how old would this be? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old Chevy Malibu. And the headlights are constantly not working. It says first one will go on, and then the other one will, and then one won't, and the other one will. And it says we have changed the wires, tightened up the bulbs, but it still happens. The lights are not dead because if I press the lock, unlock button, both headlights will go on. I'm not sure they're supposed to do that. Usually the headlights don't flash. Usually it's the parking lights that flash. But it says, uh, but it says if I start the car, usually one of the headlights will go out again. Uh, your help would be greatly appreciated. Well, I, I did a check of the wiring diagrams. I wanted to see what, how all of this works. And the first thing I would do was kind of simple stuff, look for signs of stuff melting. Um, there are actually four fuses for this. There's a fuse for each bulb. Uh, so, but there are only two ground connections. So since the, since the lights are acting weird, the first thing I would do is, you know, once I checked all the bulbs, make sure nobody did anything weird with bulbs, checked all the connections, looked for melted, melted connectors, because that is pretty common, I would trace down the ground wire and clean the connections of any rust and corrosion. The other thing you could do as a temporary kind of fix for this is... Look at the ground wire for the bulbs that are acting up and run a, run a new ground. Run it right to, you know, some spot in the body or some spot to the engine where you know you have good solid ground. See if that fixes the problem. If it fixes the problem, uh, well, you could leave it at that point. Or what you could do is you could, you could then start to trace it back and find out where that ground is suffering somewhere along the line. But I suspect if it's not something obvious like just a weird melted connector which it sounds like you might have looked at that i would um i would look for i would look for bad grounds uh someone else is replacing the brake pads on their car they're said they're about 75 percent worn the rotors look fine and the car stops smoothly is there anything i need to do to the rotors or the components except installing the new brake pads um basically no i mean there's no reason to resurface a brake rotor uh if it doesn't need it um, because when you re when you take the brake rotors off and you take them to the auto parts store and you have them resurfaced, it's going to take metal off. The more metal you remove from the brake rotors, the more likely they are to warp and distort under heat. So if they look good, I would leave them alone. What I might do, and this is fairly common, is you'll get a rust ridge that builds up around the outside of the brake rotors. Take a file or a grinder or something and then knock that rust off and clean it all up. The other thing you want to do too is you want to make sure that the brake rotors go back on where they came from. So if you do take them off to knock the rust off, kind of mark, you know, draw a circle around the the uh, one of the wheel studs on the rotor and mark the stud, use some paint or or a crayon or 
uh, white out or something. So because sometimes what happens, you'll have uh, rust that builds up on the uh, wheel hub flange. And if you put it off just, you know, a little bit different, you might end up with a vibration. Then follow the directions on how to uh, uh, break in the new brake pads. Sometimes it's called bedding the brakes, which burnishes the brake pads. Used to be we threw brake pads on. Stop, took it for a ride, seemed fine. But now uh, the instructions really involve, you know, four or five moderate to aggressive stops. and then But follow the directions, see what happens. Why don't we take a quick break? Uh, if you want to join us, 781-837-4900, like John from Norwood is on hold. John, stay right there. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Our phone number is 781-837-4900. We'll be right back. But tonight is different. It's going to be Hey, I'm Ashley Jordan. Tune in to Twilight Showcase Radio, hosted by Sandy Stride and Keith James on 95.9 WATD and 95.9 WATD.com. Search for Twilight Showcase Radio on Facebook and visit twilightshowcase.org. Twilight Showcase, tonight from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Talk radio with a South Shore point of view. Hi, I'm Kevin Chachi. Join me tomorrow for Monday Night Talk, where the South Shore comes to talk. Tomorrow night after the 6 o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program. Uh, thanks to uh, uh, our announcer for coming in and doing that. That was special. Uh, our phone number again, 781-837-4900. Let's talk to John from Norwood. John, good morning. Hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Hey, I'm getting new tires, and I'm wondering, what is the necessity of getting an alignment, and is it a two-wheel or a four-wheel? Um, uh pretty much it's it's all four wheel these days because because you know there's a little bit sometimes there's a little bit of adjustment in the rear uh i'm a little bit you know i'm a little bit old-fashioned that sometimes if the old tires were wearing fine um i might put the new tires on there kind of drive it for a month or so before i considered an alignment but the tires themselves the the tires that are on there are going to give you an idea of whether you really need an alignment or not. If you look at them and they're worn straight across, you run your hand across them, you don't feel any sharp edges, chances are the alignment is good. I replaced the four tires on my car last, I guess, late spring, early summer. And 
they were in pretty good shape, but I wanted to I wanted to try something different, and I didn't align the car because they look, you know, they've been on there for twenty five thousand miles or whatever the case is, and they look perfect. I mean, they looked fine. Um, I I probably could have sold them, you know, uh, you know, and and you know made money what it cost to install the tires back on. Um, does it hurt to do it? No, and uh, you know, and if you get an alignment. It's they're going to say it's a four wheel alignment because they put they put the alignment heads on all four wheels and they check all four wheels. And then sometimes, you know, some cars have almost zero rear wheel alignment. Some of them, there's a little bit of toe adjustment on occasional one. There's a little bit of camber adjustment, but there isn't a lot of rear wheel adjustment as it is unless it's a high performance sports car. Then that's a different story. And. um Can a, can a normal shop, not a dealership or a tire store, can they can they do alignments as well, or is that if, kind of uh, specialized equipment? It's, it's specialized equipment. Although you know, a lot of independent shops, you know, purchased alignment machines, and um, you know, and they go from you know they go from these really crazy you know laser beam systems but uh a, a, a bigger shop like um there's one shop that I go to periodically um they have they have they have an alignment machine because they had the extra space to put it in you know a guy who's you know we've had on the show a million times junior damato has at least one alignment machine in his shop so it depends kind of space available kind of thing the other thing is sometimes these um these drive-on rack alignment machines, all of a sudden you're going to spend fifteen or $20,000 for the rack, and you're going to use it for things like oil changes and stuff like that. Spend a little bit more money and buy the alignment machine, so all of a sudden now the rack and the alignment machine are kind of dual purpose. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm a little old-fashioned. I, I tend to you know, I tend to like the Hunter equipment for alignment machines. It's what I kind of grew up using. Um, although I should say that, I think the first alignment machine I ever used, I'm not even sure if the company's in business anymore. It was John Bean, and it was funny, but it was it was interesting. At one point, somewhere along when I used to, you know, fix cars for a living, we did alignments for the local Ferrari dealership, and no one did no one did four wheel alignments back then. So you would literally back the car up onto the alignment rack backwards, and then you know check the rear wheel alignment. But again, that was something that you know back then you know seventies eighties there wasn't a lot of four wheel alignments done back in those days. It was all just two wheel alignments. But today every alignment machine is four wheel, and some cars have adjustments, some don't. Again, your your tires that you have on the car now will tell you the story whether those you know whether you, whether you need to align the car or not. You know if the steering wheel, if you're driving the car and the steering wheel is straight across, um, the car doesn't drift to the left or the right. Um, chances are the alignment's fine. But if you're driving the car and the wheel's tilted a little bit to one side, or you have to keep your hand rested on the steering wheel to keep it from drifting into, you know, drifting into the gutter or, or worse yet, drifting across the the crown in the road, chances are the car needs an alignment. And considering tires are you know, 150 to 250 dollars a piece. Spending another 120 on an alignment is uh, is money well spent. Um, and are there other? My car is like 24 years old. So are there other things that could be in need of replacing based on the alignment and what they see when they well, put the tires on? 
Yeah, uh, any good alignment technician, when the car gets on the rack, they're going to check ball joint wear, tie rod end wear, uh, look for any kind of bushing that is worn enough where it can affect the alignment. Something like a sway bar bushing isn't going to affect the alignment. It's going to affect the handling. But you want to look at stuff that can affect alignment wear. That would be ball joints. In worst case, you know, if struts are actually worn to the point where they're loose, obviously, tie rod ends, uh, inner outer tie rod ends, things like that, uh, those things can affect the alignment because what happens is, although they might not be to the point where they're dangerous, like you go to get an inspection sticker and they go, oh, we got to fail this car because it's got a bad ball joint, but if it's got a little bit of wear in it and you're driving down the road, the force of the going forward is going to push the wheels sort of outward. And then as you slow down, they're going to come back in. And it's that outward movement that's going to wear the inside of the tires. So the good thing about having an alignment check is that they are going to check the rest of the suspension and make sure it's okay. 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 Um, all right. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Take care, John. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, whoops. That was a funny noise. Uh, hey, Jesse, are you still there? I'm here. You're here? Uh, you had, uh, I, want to, I want to give you a little, little. you know, I didn't go to your big party the other night, but you had you, you had like your millionth episode on YouTube or something. Tell us about that. Uh, we celebrated the 100th episode of our podcast. It was also the 100th YouTube episode, but yeah, it was, it was good. It was actually a real fun event. We had uh, people come out from... All over the place. It was down in Plymouth at Second Wind Brewing, and it was awesome. Yeah, so we actually had people. We had a lady and her daughter flew in all the way from Alaska for the event, and we had another couple that drove all the way from Ohio. I was pretty impressed with uh, the dedication to the show there. Wow. Did they get a T-shirt or something? We did, yeah. We supplied them with T-shirts. We had some special ones for the actual events. We had, like, episode 100 commemorative tees as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. But we actually had a ton of people come out. It was a really small uh brewery very cool place very good craft beer and um yeah we packed the place it was awesome so it was, it was very cool to see that much uh support for the show well you know i, I was gonna go but you know my wife's birthday week was in the way and you know so everyone uh, was asking me like jesse I, why have you been crying all night and i was like well it's because the car doctor has not arrived yeah yeah i'm sure that was it you know mm -hmm. after after the uh after the third craft beer or something yeah i usually cry yeah. anyways when i drink craft beer but you know that's a special case <laughs> but but that you know the idea that you have that kind of fan base you have you know that many episodes and you know your youtube channel like you know like uh, muscle car campy you know he really enjoys putting stuff on youtube and it's obvious that you and your brother and partner uh you know the three of you when they put that stuff together have a really good time and what a better time to go uh, check out your your channel because it's uh, spooky season it is very spooky season yeah so yeah. Yeah, it's just hometown ghost stories. You just search it, and it's a uh, you know podcast available everywhere. I appreciate the plug. I will expect an invoice in the mail, and I will. Uh... Or, or or you know, I, I you could pay me. You could pay me. Uh, you know, uh, in t-shirts or something. But, I'll just yeah. pay you in the bottled tears that I collected on Friday without seeing you there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be fantastic. So yeah. Uh, uh, one more question to get to before we run out of time here. I think we only have a minute or two left. Uh, it's it's actually a pretty interesting one. Uh, 2011 Lexus ES350. The airbag light's on. They went into their dealer. Uh, the passenger airbag light flashes, and it says it's off. They went to the dealer. The dealer replaced the computer, but the problem was not resolved. 
Hope they got their money back. And then they were told they need a seat cushion assembly uh, for the low price of $3,100. An auto cushion company said they can buy a used seat from a junk dealer, have the cushion removed, replace it with their original seat. Do you advise this? It's amazing the regular local mechanics won't even touch this job. I am am I at the mercy of the dealership? A used seat cushion, yeah, that could be an option, but I'd worry about two, two, three, or four things. Once is the car might have been in a crash, which could affect it. Second thing is if the windows were broken in the car, that seat could be really wet. Third thing is this is kind of a characteristic of the car, so is the new seat cushion going to have the same problem as the old one? Uh, the other issue is uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, we had the guys from Upfix. Uh, on the show, they talked about doing dash repairs and radio repairs, stuff like that. They also do airbag repairs. So maybe you could have a local shop pull out the cushion, send it to them, do the repair, and then send it back. I would check with Upfix, and their Upfix.com is simple enough. Uh, the other thing is body shops do airbag stuff all the time. They are always, you know, they always have to replace airbags because the vehicles are in crashes. They're pretty used to it, more so than, uh, than a conventional repair shop. So maybe a body shop might be an option other than going to the dealer. So um, stuff to look at, stuff that makes it a little bit easy. So there you go. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to be talking to Dan Strollo from In Control, In Control Family Foundation. Going to teach us how to drive, especially with winter weather coming. They actually, even in the winter weather, have a winter weather driving class. Uh, and they have a trailer towing class, which I really should be able to take that class. Uh, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. And if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, Slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.